listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. But now, it's time for this week's interview. Here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. My indie author guest today is Meg Cowley. Now, Meg has self-published a number of books, including two young adult sword and sorcery novels and two illustrated children's books. She's an artist too, and has recently experienced breakthrough success with her range of adult colouring books. Welcome to the show, Meg. Thanks for joining me. Hello, thanks for having me on, Paul. Now, you've got quite a collection of books to your name now. How did you get started in, in, in <laughs> yes. self-publishing and writing? Oh, gosh. Well, I think um, the theme of my life is a jack of all trades and a master of none at the minute. I like to dabble and try different things. Um, I, I started off illustrating when I was a child, and I've always loved reading and writing as well. Um when I was in my teenage years, that's when I really started deciding that I wanted to write a novel and it was going to be amazing. And, you know, I, I love the work of Tolkien and things like that. So that, that was a huge inspiration for me back then. Um, of course, what I wrote was complete drivel, but we need to practice these things, don't we? So um, practice I did. And in about 2008, I had all these characters popping into my brain and they ultimately evolved into the characters that, that are in The Tainted Crown, which is my first book, the Book of Caladan um, series. And it, it just became one of those things that took over my life and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And the story just popped into my head and all these characters were doing all these things. And in the end, I just had to write it down. Um, and in in the beginning, it's... It, it, it wasn't very good at all. I kind of pantsed my way through the first half and then decided that I really needed to sit down and plot the rest of it. I ended up rewriting the first um, 25,000 words, I think. Oh, no. Um, well, no, but it, that was a good thing because I learned, I learned what not to do, and I think that's a really important part of learning how to, how to write books that people want to read is learning what not to do. And, and obviously that was a, a, t- a costly mistake in terms of time, but um, it's helped me really hone my process for my following projects. And I mean, the first book took me three years to write and publish, and the second one took me a year. And, and those are full-length fictions, um, 100,000 words or, or thereabouts. And, and with every project, it, it now gets faster and more efficient. So I sort of feel like I've, I've found my stride. I enjoy writing. I'm getting better at the craft. I understand how to publish, and it's all sort of taking off now. When you started with the first book, did you aim to self-publish that or were you going to look for an agent? Oh, gosh, not at all. No, it was it was a case of, first of all, I just wanted to get it out. And then I, the most, um, I suppose, the, the thing that really changed my mindset on um, writing for myself and wanting to publish was meeting one of my favourite authors, um, Christopher Paolini, who wrote at 15 the best-selling um, series, the Inheritance series, Aragon, um, that, that sort of series. It's fantasy, dragons, magic. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and, and that really affected me at the time. I absolutely loved that series. And he flew over from the USA to do a talk in Manchester and ended up booking a train and going to Manchester um, by myself to, to see this author. And he, he gave this fantastic talk on how if you want to be a writer, you actually need to write and you know anything's possible as long as you actually sit down and do it and that was an amazing moment because I thought to myself well 
yeah, actually, I want to be a writer, but to actually do that, to achieve that, I, I do actually need to sit down and write words and put them together and make a book. So that's when I decided that I was going to make a book. But yeah, I, I very much wasn't aware of self-publishing. And I thought that the only thing you could do was get an agent or go to a publisher, you know, one of the two. And it wasn't until about 2012 when I discovered um, Drawn a Pen through a friend who also liked writing. Um, perhaps I have her to thank for all of this. That I, I thought actually that was a better business decision, and I, I consciously chose not to go the agented route and, and to choose self-publishing instead. At that stage, had you sent it off to agents at all? Then no, not at all. So you've never it done was the agent. No, it, it was at the point where I was thinking, OK, I'm I'm far enough into this that I need to start thinking about where I'm going with it. I know I want to get it out there. And that was when I started to do the research, thinking, oh, God, I'm going to have to send out a million reje- like um, author queries and get a million rejection letters. And here we go. And then I, I found this great opportunity and thought I, I could just avoid all of that and, and do this great thing instead. Let's do that. So when you write, how do you do it? Are you pen and paper? Are you computer? Oh, computer, computer always. Uh, I mean, I have pens and papers around. So if I need to jot an idea down, um, one thing I've learned is if you have a fantastic idea at one o'clock in the morning, you need to write it down because you will not remember it at eight o'clock when you wake up. So, you know, pen and paper comes in handy. I tend to jot stuff down on my phone and I always write on my computer. Um, Started off on Word. Um, Currently, I use Google Drive for my children's fiction just for the ease of access from my phone, tablet, laptop, computer, wherever I am, I can write on the go. Um, But with the bigger works, and when I'm coming to format it, I I definitely use Scrivener because the organisation there is just second to none. When did you learn that you needed Scrivener? Was it after you'd done the first book? Oh, no, no. It was, uh, gosh, I think I was probably... But I feel pretty fed up of highlighting really big blocks of text in Word and trying to drag and drop them into the right place or cut and paste them without losing it all. And it was just a nightmare. And on the grapevine, I heard about Scrivener and it was the corkboard that got me. The the ease with which you could have a little post-it note that, that had you seen on it and you could go into that and there was all your writing and you could drag them and drop them and rearrange them. And that was fantastic. That, that has been the most revolutionary tool, tool I've used, for sure. It's worth its weight in gold. I think I paid about 20, 20 pounds for it, and I would happily have paid more. It's so worth it. I'm pleased you said that, because when I saw the corkboard, yes. I knew I had to have it. It's just such a I lovely know, way of organising. I even tried getting an actual corkboard with actual post-it notes, and it's just not as good. <laughs> well, I'm pleased you get on well with Scrivener because I, I've also yeah. had problems with, with Word. It's, um, and I get on with Drive. It's interesting to hear you say that you get on with Google Drive because I so, wrote my first book in Google Drive and I've not heard of anybody else using it to write. It is pretty Yeah, cool it's really it useful. I mean, to be honest, I did, I, I did write in Scrivener and that was my go-to tool, but I've found that with the second children's book that I did, I wanted to be writing when I was probably shouldn't admit it, at university or at work on my break or something like that. And I didn't have access to the files. And I always like to be able to just scan over what I've written and then carry on because I'm getting into that flow. My brain's preparing and it's recalling what it was thinking about whilst I was last writing. And the only way that I could do that on the go without physically picking up my computer and taking it with me, which is, of course, not very practical, um, was Google Drive. So, yeah, it's fantastically versatile. I really enjoy, I really enjoy using that. 
So you threw yourself right in at the deep end because 100,000 words is, is a heck of an undertaking. And you said you yeah. pants it at first. At what time did you realise the error of your ways and that you were going to have to sit down and About come up with a plan 40,000 words in um, when I didn't really know what was happening next and I thought, hmm, there's a problem with this. So I kind of I plotted the rest of it. And then once I'd finished it, I went back and at the beginning it was just terrible it was like someone had barfed on a keyboard and it was just like this is clearly not working i need to fix this i mean the plot didn't work the characters didn't work it didn't grab you when you read it and it was just like this is this is not this is never gonna sell you know it the thing about self-publishing is just because you can doesn't mean you should and if i'd have put that book out as it was i should have been shot so you know there was you have a duty of care to your readers to put something out that's the very best you can make it and that definitely was not i will chalk that down to learning when you'd written the book, you'd got to the 100,000 words. What editing process did you go through? Did you go through yeah, editors? So I, yeah, I mean, edit? again, the editing process has become more refined. I did work with an editor for my first book, self-edits. I had some lovely reader friends who did better reads and, you know, proofreading and things like that for me. So it was it was operated on a shoestring, to be honest. Um, I didn't really have a lot of budget, so I kind of did as much as I could with that. Um, my second book I changed editors and I paid for a lot more editing. And as a result, I that is probably um, the project that has developed me so much further as a writer um, because obviously the, the feedback of an editor and, and their expertise is completely invaluable. So, yeah, the first one is, is edited to the best that it could be at the time, but I, I wasn't really happy with the editor that I worked with, so I'm happy that I changed. I'm interested that you say that because I yeah. had an early experience with an editor who I just didn't feel would ever have read my stuff in real mm. life. Mine's science fiction, yours is fantasy. And it, it just felt like they, they read, I don't know, whatever, but they were not a science fiction reader. And I, the lesson I learned from that is you've got to have some kind of um, relationship and understanding with an editor. You sound like yeah, you had a similar I, I experience. Yeah, did, I didn't actually. feel a connection. I think that's the easiest way to put it. And she was... Um, she was skilled and she, you know, she knew a way around a sentence and that's great. And she picked out really good points and, and I could action them. But I, I never felt like an emotional sort of connection where when I found my second editor, it was, I mean, and I was looking for editors. I was talking to several and my mind kept coming back to this one editor and she's just so lovely and professional. And we just clicked. And, you know, when you talk to someone and it's like you share a brain, it was like that. And I thought, yep. Yeah, She'll do. Mm. She's the one for me. And she did a fantastic job and I couldn't be happy with her. And what about the expense of it? Because when, when you're self-publishing your first book, you've got <laughs> the cover to think of, maybe yeah. a proofread, and then you've got the edit. And you're, you're, you're really in it. Well, it, it depends. But you could be up to a thousand, thousand and a half pounds yeah. before you even get the thing out with very little chance mm -hmm. of your first one yeah. of recuperating that cash. So how, how do you manage those pressures? Because you want to release yeah. something that's the best that it can be. Yeah, of course. And I think what you've that. got to do is just be conscious of your budget and do as much as you can afford so for me because I illustrate and I'm confident in cover design I designed and illustrated the covers myself and I'm happy with them I will change them in the future because I feel like you always need to evolve and sort of keep with the current trends of what what your genre is um is doing really so the stuff I have the covers I have now reflect the fantasy genre, but they might not in two, three, four, five years' time. Um, so I would say prepare to to change and adapt, but, you know, do what you can afford, really. Do the most you can afford, and, and that's what I did. I have – I'm just looking at my financial spreadsheets now. 
I've recouped my cost for my first book, um, but I'm still quite a way down on my second book. That sounds very organised. You, you keep it. Yeah. You keep a track from every day single one. book. I've I've got a massive spreadsheet. Every single book has its own spreadsheet, and then I pull them all into a master spreadsheet where I've got my sales units per books um, totaled per month per year. Um, I've got the income. I've got the expenses, profit margins per book. So I always know what in any given month, what profit or loss level I'm at for every book, any other general expenses that I've got. So, for example, um, you know, printer ink or something, that's a business expense. So I, I don't put that in my book files. I put that in a separate expenses file. So, yeah, I, I, well, I used to be an accountant, so numbers are my thing. <laughs> ah, OK. I started doing that and then gave up with it. I know, I know you ought to because yeah. you need to know what, as you say, how profitable each book is. So harder to turn the money around then on the second book where you yeah, have the I mean, editor's yeah, expenses. Yeah, definitely. And it is a direct result of the editor's expenses, but I wouldn't change that. Um, I, it's kind of my own fault as well. Um, my business strategy has changed in the last 12 months quite dramatically and my fiction has taken a back seat. So whilst it's still something that I'm sort of doing in the background and it is my long-term game, that, that is my fiction, um, it's at the moment it's taking a back seat and you know I'm not marketing it I'm not pushing for any sales so it's just sort of trickling in really steadily and yeah that, that's how it'll be probably for the next 12 months or so and that that's fine that's part of the plan yeah when you came to that second book mm-hmm. having done the first one what lessons had you learned by then and how did it change what you did because you turned that second yeah one it's year, um i actually had a stat for it somewhere oh i don't know if i can find that but um yeah it was a lot quicker to do and i learned a lot of lessons from doing the first one um first and foremost was the planning so i planned it a lot more carefully this time um i i did about thirty thousand words of planning if i remember rightly um and what that wow. was was pretty much a couple of sentences for each chapter and then I'd break that down and I'd do a really detailed plan with details of um, what a character might be doing or saying or feeling or, or, or you know what was happening in the general world around them at, at that time and that really helped um, so when it came to writing it I already knew what was happening I didn't have to stop and think oh what's that detail I can't what's that word I'm trying to think of or mm, I don't really know what they would say to each other or how they would act in this situation because I'd already thought it through um, the most helpful book that changed that for me was Rachel Aaron's 2k to 10k which is available as a free blog post but I do recommend getting the ebook one because it's completely worth it and two, because it's it's like the most valuable piece of productivity writing I've had. And if you just have it sat in one piece on your Kindle, it's brilliant. It takes an hour or two to read. That's it. And it's completely revolutionized my process. And her three key points were something like um, know what it is you're writing, uh, be enthusiastic about your writing. And I can't remember the third one. It's probably so deeply ingrained. But yeah. Um, I always made sure that I knew what I was going to write and that I was excited about writing it because her logic was if you're not excited about writing it no one's going to want to read it so if you make sure you're enthused about the whole process and you know what you're doing it, it basically goes a lot faster so it took 24 hours to write those 30,000 words um, not over one day of course but you know 24 hours worth of planning because I charted I took I did a timesheet for this book just out of interest to see what every um, part of the process cost me in time. And then the book itself was 90 or so thousand words. And that took 81 hours over six months to write. 
I was behind schedule. I I could have done that so much faster. I could have done those 81 hours in three months. That was the original intent. I pretty much spent month four beating myself up because why hadn't I written it faster? Why hadn't it? Why wasn't it already done? I was supposed to write it in a month. You know, people do that. Um, and, and why didn't I? But I think, yeah, you get faster as you go along and you learn not to beat yourself up too much and just try and do the best you can. But yeah, those those were the stats that happened to be for my second book yeah it'd be interesting to see where book three goes I, I wonder if I can do that any faster I was going to ask you about that because it feels like the books of Caladan are like a um they're going to no. go on forever is it that no. kind of a series it feels um, like I feel it could like do. This, no? this series is my training wheels if that makes sense like I, I love writing it these characters have been in my life for almost 10 years now so they're you know, they're deeply ingrained in me and I'm very fond of them and love them to bits. And Caladan, like I've been imagining this world for nearly 10 years, so I know every little detail of it. And there's so much more of the story yet to come and I'm so excited to share it. But there's also so many other books I want to write. I've already planned out my next series after this, which is going to be serialised. I plotted out like 30 books of it and they've been plotted out for a year, sat on my computer. I just haven't had the time to write them. These will be um, young adult Arthurian legend kind of stuff. Talk to me about young adult. How do you target that audience? Because it, it's an interesting demographic because they don't have credit cards. So therefore on Amazon, you're, you're really having to go for the parents on Amazon because they're the buyers. So how did you find that audience? I think, I think I'd lump the children's fiction in with what you've just said as well. You, you are marketing to the parents. Um, however, I would argue that young adult fiction is appealing to adults as well. Um, and the majority of my readers, I think, so far have been adults. Did you have any strategies for finding y- young adults? So, for instance, are you on Tumblr or anything like that? Oh, no, I don't understand that thing. I, I, that makes me feel really old. I don't get Tumblr. What is it? What is it? But this, this is part of my longer-term business strategy, where I'm going to go into schools and things like that. So that's where the children's fiction and the young adult fiction, that's where I really want to focus on that, because that's where I'm going to get to meet the audience and things like that. So that, that's where your heart lies with the young adults? Oh, completely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, do, and do you aspire to have it all turned into a film or a series one day? Oh, yeah, don't we all? My next series, I think it'd be perfect for TV. But yeah, it's, um, I, who knows if it'll ever happen. I think you can't write a series for a TV or for a movie. You just have to write the best book you can and who knows what will happen. I'll move on to your children's books in a moment or two. When you uh, published your, your books of Caladan, mm-hmm. were they just on Kindle or did you um, do print on demand? Where, where, where are they published? Um, so they are print on demand and Kindle. Um, I initially did the print book... Um, I mean, for, for your first book, the the feeling of holding it in your hand for the first time is like nothing else. I'm getting butterflies in my stomach and a shiver down my spine just thinking about that moment. I remember it so vividly, opening that box, and there was a book, a real book that had my name on the cover, but it was real, a real book. And I kept saying that to myself, like, oh, my God, it's a real book, like Pinocchio. It's a real book. And that's magical. So from that point of view, it was sort of vanity that I wanted a paperback but also practical as well because when you're comparing the paperback price to the Kindle price it looks really good the discounting of the Kindle against the list price for the print book because it shows you know you've got seven pounds off the RRP or something you're saving of percent which is great um so that's why I put the paper book out and that's available on expanded distribution as well although I again getting into bookstores is a long-term strategy and not something I'm interested in now um with the ebook, I originally went wide 
Um, so I went on different retailers like Kobo and Nook. Um, now that was based on advice that I'd had, um, you know, from from pla- places like the Creative Pen and stuff, where it was advising if you if you're on all the different channels, you'll sell more because you're visible in more places. But of course, when you're a first time author with your first book, you're not even dropping the ocean. You're you know you're less than that. So what I found was that I really wasn't getting any benefit from going wide, and I pulled it all back to Kindle. Um, and I've had some success on Kindle with Kindle Unlimited and um, being able to run the promotions that you can on Kindle Select. So that's been great for me. But yeah, I am thinking about in the medium term, um, so in the next 12 months, pushing back out to those other retailers and widening horizons again. When you did that, did you list separately or did you use an aggregation, an aggregation service like Smashwords or Draft or Digital? separately um but i would consider doing that for places like ibooks because at the time i couldn't get into ibooks and and what about the the technicals of this are you pretty technical could you manage to do all the formatting and all of that oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i love to teach myself this kind of thing so i format all my print interiors i format all my kindle interiors i i I pretty much diy everything okay so with create space then that's quite a complicated process, I think. Uh, it's a lot of fiddling around. Yeah, how, do you, when, you, when you format your books, do you do them yeah. now in, in Scrivener for CreateSpace or do you do them in Word for CreateSpace? I do them in Word. Um, I find that it's much easier because you can physically see the pages as you're editing them. Um, whereas in Scrivener, you're sort of relying that the coding monkeys are going to format it right and spit out a file on the other end that looks just so. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely prefer the hands-on, um, hands-on appeal of Word with that, definitely. And I just want to ask you about your covers too, because it, mm-hmm. it gets a little bit technical in Create Space. If you were doing your own covers, I know I know the yeah. artwork's a breeze for you, but actually, <laughs> um, I know when I did my first covers, for instance, the spines weren't aligned, and it's all quite oh, fancy, isn't it? Such a pain. So how do you cope with that? Did you just have to figure that out as you went along? I just scream a little <laughs> bit in my head. Um, the I. <sighs> It's not been so much of a problem, to be honest. The fiction books tend to have a wraparound colour, so there's no particularly visible element of the spine being on the front or on the back. But I have noticed on my colouring books, especially the newest one, the spine seems to be misaligned. No matter what I do and how I format the file, even though it's within the the little dotted lines on the little templates, it's still, they just do whatever they want. So, yeah, for me, I would probably recommend having the same thing wrapping around the cover without having that distinct spine banding um, because it makes it less noticeable. And then the title, if it's slightly misaligned on the spine, you can't really notice. Now, I'm going to move on to the secret witch books because I want to know why you went yeah. from young adult, the sort of swords and sorcery stuff, to, to <laughs> they're quite, well, they seem to be quite young children's books. The baby sword and sorcery hmm. books. Hmm. Is it a natural <laughs> progression? Yeah, Benjamin Button. <laughs> yeah. Going backwards. <laughs> um, no, it's just that I had this idea and I sort of was hearing all these things on Twitter about how children's books were the, the hardest part of the market to break into and da, 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 da. And so I kind of gave up on it. And then a couple of months later, it came up that actually children's books are the new emerging market for self-published authors. So I thought, all right, OK, fair enough. Um, I, d- I did a bit more research. I thought, all right, OK, may- maybe there is something. So it's it's kind of an experiment at this point. Um I'm just on the third book now. These kind of don't take much time to write and illustrate, so it's not it's not like a 100,000-word novel. I mean, that would be a really big gamble. Um, 
but I don't mind putting out a few of these and seeing how they do. Um, again, I had the story in my mind. I thought, well, I might as well write it. Um, see how it goes. And it's just doing all right. And they are a mixture of text and illustrations. How do you yeah. physically manage that? Do you just bring the illustrations into a Word document? Yeah. So what I tend to do is I write all this in Google Drive, um, paste across to Word into the correctly formatted file. So I make sure it's all the right size before I paste everything in. I sort out all my chapters, um, sort out my front matter, back matter, and then it's at this point that I'll start whizzing through all the illustrations. So I think the last one I had about 70 to do plus the cover, and it took me about two days to do the illustrations from sketch to finish. Um, so it's it's not it's labour intensive and it's tiring, but it's not that time consuming because um, the illustrations are relatively simple. Uh, I do those digitally, um, so they print out really nicely, and then I insert them into the word file at the appropriate places and reformat the file so it looks all pretty again. Now I'm hoping that as an accountant, you might be able to answer this question because I think that when you have oh. <laughs> when you have files with images on them and people download um, them on a Kindle, I think you mm-hmm. have to pay. Amazon, don't you, for the for the download costs? And aren't books with images yeah. slightly more expensive? Um, not as much as you think, actually. It it really depends on what you do. So it depends on the royalty model you pick. If you go 70%, you do have to pay. If you go 35%, you don't. Um, if I'm understanding that correctly, it, maybe it's changed since I last read, but as, as I understand it, that's the case. Um, obviously, you want 70% royalties, so paying a couple peat for someone to download it it's not a problem what happens is the images i insert 300 dpi so that's print resolution anyway um but i i resize them in pixels now this doesn't affect how they show up on a kindle so they're still the full size images just as they, as they would be in the print book but they're a much smaller image size and when you upload the files to um kdp anyway they do compress it all so it comes out at about I think it's about two megabytes is, is the file that I upload and it comes back at about a few hundred kilobytes. So it's really, it's really not that much. So it hasn't been a consideration then on the, on the spreadsheets? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And so I asked you about the difficulty of targeting a young adult audience earlier on. Yeah. What about kids then? Um, that's really hard, actually. You, you really have to rely on parents being there. Um, so... I have a background in teaching, so this kind of comes in handy because I know lots of people who know lots of young kids and they're always on the lookout for books and things like that. And when I say to them, oh, you can download it for free because I give away my first one for free um, as a marketing sort of tactic, they're they're quite interested in that. So that's quite nice. I've had a bit of interest already for um, what I intend to be a medium term plan for the next 12 months or so, which is sort of school visits and giving away signed copies, things like that. So, yeah, it's... it's a more difficult market to break into because obviously for data protection reasons and child protection reasons, you can't just go and talk to children and be like, hey, do you want this book? Okay, give me your email address and I'll send you some books. You, you know, it's obviously you can't do that. So you have to rely on the parents um, being able to make contact with them, basically. In terms of your aspirations then, young adults, yeah. children... We haven't even talked about the colouring books. I'll come to those in a moment or two. <laughs> uh, or, or a bit of everything. A bit of everything. I enjoy I enjoy the mix. I find that I need several things going on, otherwise I get bored. Or not necessarily bored, but just frustrated. So if I'm going at it on fiction for three days, I, I just need a break. And then I start colouring. And because I've not done... Uh, 
illustrating and so then because I've not done the illustrating that's great I'm really enjoying that and by the time I've got fed up of doing that I'm ready for some fiction again so I find it's really good to chop and change it because I'm always then enthusiastic and, and energized to to create different things and interestingly you write it all under the same name so your coloring books yeah. your children's fiction and your young adults are all under the same author profile yeah, they all clog up the same author page. <laughs> <laughs> and ha- does that work okay? It's not not a problem. No, that w- that again was a conscious decision. Um, uh, they say not to put your eggs in one basket, but at the same time, having to manage several different pseudonyms is just—it's difficult. You know, if you have a Twitter and a Facebook and an email and a website for every single one, it gets very expensive in terms of hosting. It gets very expensive in terms of time because you're having to manage them all and pretend to be all these different people. And, yeah, it's just easier to, for me to just be myself and just be like, hey, I do all this stuff. Like it, don't like it. It's all there. <laughs> Which are you first, an artist or a writer? Because you must spend – I'm interested in the time ratio between art yeah. and, and writing. But what do you consider yourself? Um, it depends what I'm doing. At the moment, I'm an artist. <laughs> I'm an illustrator through and through. I'm, I'm busy working on my next Korean book at the moment and in amongst um, the third children's book, which is sort of my relief project at the moment. Um, yeah, it's... I, I started drawing, I guess, first. I've, all, I've always been known as, the, you know, the one who, who draws. And it's, it's definitely something that I can just lose myself and I suppose um, writing is harder because you've got to really think about it but for me the illustration just flows I can just sort of zone out and good stuff comes out of my pencil so yeah <laughs> let's talk about the coloring books now then because I said this was your this is your breakthrough moment by the sounds yeah. of it so what made you move then from from the fiction to the coloring books what made you decide to take a punt on that um, just complete opportunity, to be honest. I was pretty ill last year in 2015, um, and I really struggled to write. I just didn't have the concentration. I wasn't in a good place, and drawing was sort of keeping me sane. And one day, one of my friends suggested to me, well, why don't you do an adult colouring book? And, of course, they were all the rage, and I'd seen them on the radar. And I started looking into it and thinking, well, heck, why not? So I put together some illustrations, and that kept me busy for a month, and that, that got me through a month. Um, and, and I put it out there and I thought, well, I might as well see how see how it does. And luckily it went well. Um, so I ended up following it up with a second one a bit later than I probably should have done. Um, but again, my health last year wasn't great. So I was running on um, snail's pace, shall we say. Um, but yeah, the, the first and the second one, collectively, did, did fantastic over Christmas. So the third one's just come out. I've got a fourth one coming out on Tuesday. Fifth one will be out in May. That's the one I'm illustrating now. Um, so yeah. Onwards. Sometimes, as a self-published author, it can feel like you're pushing against the door where someone's got their foot in it all the time. Whereas, whereas <laughs> it feels to me like the door just opened with the adult colouring books for you. Is that how it feels like to you? Um, in a way, I mean, perhaps the door's still a bit closed. I haven't, I haven't achieved my goals yet. You know, the ultimate goal for any of us at the beginning is to be able to ditch the day job and be able to do it full time. So I've still not got there. Um, but you know, every. Every illustration I do, every book I make, every book I sell, that gets me closer to that. So, yeah, I feel I feel just incredibly motivated. Like you know, carpe diem, seize the day. And if you don't if you don't do it and if you don't try, you're never going to get there. And at the moment, I feel like 
you know, time is of the essence and the faster I do it and the harder I work, the sooner I'll get there. So that's been really motivational to me to just um, see this little, this little chink of what I want and this little opportunity and this little success is just a taste and I want the rest of it. So I'm going to work really hard and go get it, basically. And has it been much better than the fiction? Astronomically, astronomically. How does that feel after, after pushing the fiction and then suddenly something flying? It's been really nice. I mean, it's it's nice to finally feel like I can do something and it's also commercially viable. Because with the fiction, you know, it do, you do sort of perpetuate the starving artist myth and, you know, writer living paycheck to paycheck in a depressing old sort of attic with no money. And, you know, I know that, the, that there's writers who are self-published who are doing an absolutely fantastic job. But, of course, that's not the majority of people. And it's really hard to get success with just one or just two books unless you break through. Um, so it was really nice to to just have one or two books out with the colouring books and to be able to make something of it. Now, uh, one of your novels, your, your young adult novels, t- takes a year to write, 100,000 words, 90 to 100,000 words. Sure. A colouring book takes, what, a month, month, two months to produce? Um, it, it depends. I mean, the first one took 12 weeks from start to finish. It was about eight to illustrate and four to prove and publish. I'm finding that I'm getting faster. Um so the third one I illustrated through January and that was out at the end of February. So um, that was pretty intensive. So I'm not going to ever, I hope, do, that, do it that intensively again. I will slow down for my next one. Um, I'm aiming to get that out in the two and a half sort of three month bracket again. And I'm assuming the costs of these are less because you don't need uh, proofreaders, you don't need development editors and you, you're the artist. So yeah. you're, you've got complete freedom. You do the covers and everything, I'm assuming. Yeah, it, it's it's actually ridiculous um, how easy it is to make them. I mean, the the illustration is the hardest part. Um, to give you an idea, uh, I'll I'll bring up one of my files, one of my spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's ridiculously easy. It's it cost me just a copy of the proof. That was it. Wow. So I, I sell a couple of books and I'm making profit. It was. Because I format, format the books in Word, it's really easy to put them together. You, you know, it's got an intro, it's got a bit of a, a, a note at the end. It just needs a bit of a spell check and a proofread. It's it's not rocket science. Um, the cover design, you can pretty much create it from the illustrations, add a bit of colour. Um, it, it really is very easy to make the final product once the hard work is out of the way with. So, yeah, it's, and obviously that's great because it's so low cost, it's then very um, high yield. The temptation must be then to keep doing those until, well, will the craze pass? I don't know whether it will work. <laughs> it's it's certainly going to keep growing strong in 2016. Um, there's still a lot of traditional publishers pub- publishing in a lot of books. There's um, the stuff scheduled on Amazon up till November from the mainstream publishers. So I reckon it might not be as booming as 2015 in the sense that it's not going to be as revolutionary and as new and you know a talking point i think it'll be more of the norm this year but i think it's going to still be really popular um so yeah i'm definitely going to keep doing it but my like i said my medium long-term goal is that my fiction is going to be really successful so you know you can't just abandon that that's what i'm working on slowly in the background as as like my little my little secret master plan um, but yeah, the colouring books are sort of taking over the bulk of the time at the moment. One of the things we haven't spoken about yet is is actually marketing, and people have yeah. all sorts of different approaches. How do you approach marketing? Um, well, <laughs> again, it's on a bit of a bootstrap budget, but I do as much as I can. So, 
this starts with the book production, um, looking at the type of book that I'm producing and how that's going to be most appealing to the audience that it's intended for. So what I want is people to pick it up and think this is a great product. I'm going to come back to this author. Um, so that, that also extends to things like Amazon titles, keywords, descriptions, thing like, things like that, categories. I do a lot of research with every single title about that. Um, then there is the story itself or the book itself. You've, you've got to have a good product. That's marketing. Um, I run newsletters. So I've got a newsletter for my young adult fiction. I've got one for my children's fiction and one for my colouring books. So I keep all of those exclusive from each other because they don't really cross over in subject matter. Um, obviously with the fiction being on the back burner that just sort of creeps up every month in numbers but the colouring one is doing really well Um, I'm on Facebook and Twitter so I use them quite heavily and that's been really good for driving sales and newsletter signups and things like that Um, I've done a little bit of paid advertising on Facebook that's been more dabbling I've had a little bit of success Um, that's something that I do want to learn a lot more about before I get more heavily involved in it and um, I've just started delving into video as well, which is like the new big thing of 2016. You should be doing video. So I started doing a video diary. I'm doing video tutorials like for colouring and drawing, things like that. Um, the first one I, I just put out the other week, and that's proved ridiculously popular. So, yeah, I, I feel like that's a great angle to go for for the colouring books. I give away free pages. I give away free books, things like that. I think that's a great way to incentivize people to sign up for your mailing lists and of course, the whole point of building the mailing list is that you're getting a customer base that you can you can email and, you know, hopefully some of them will, will want to keep um, colouring your new books or reading your new fiction. And what are you using to manage the mailing list? Are you a MailChimp person? I'm a MailChimp person. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you get on with it? It's fine. I mean, I'm not at the 2,000 subscribers yet, so I don't have to pay, but I'm quite looking forward to when I do upgrade to that um, so then I can use the automation features. So, again, that's in in the uh, that's in the works. That little idea is pinned to the board. <laughs> for, for many authors, this idea of marketing and running newsletter campaigns and things like that, it's quite yeah. alien. How do you take to that? Mm, it's It takes some getting used to. It. It actually took me a lot of years to admit to my nearest and dearest that I was writing a book. Um, they all thought I was bonkers. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like my, my fiance thought I was nuts. My parents thought I'd lost the plot. Um, when I decided that I was going to be a writer and they were like, okay, how are you going to pay your bills? And now they've sort of seen that it's paying the bills. They're like, ah, you're going to be a writer. Okay. But yeah, you, you have to get comfortable with, talking to people about it really and not being one of those annoying people that's that's you know like i've written a book buy my book it's really good it's the best book ever you need to buy it please buy it have you bought my book yet have you have you bought buy my book and don't be one of those people but you have to build a really authentic relationship basically and and that's what i find the social media is great for i get to talk to so many people especially on twitter who i wouldn't have ordinarily met and that's really refreshing um and with the emails, sign-ups and things, that happens organically. And I'm still, you know, I'm not, not an expert at email marketing. Um, I will freely hold my hands up and admit that. But it's nice to be able to email people who have a shared interest. So, again, that's something that I need to focus on this year is contacting my email list with stuff that's of value to them. So, you know, I might not have a book coming out, but 
hey, I found this great colouring page or this fantastic science, science fiction or fantasy book that I think they'd really enjoy. And, you know, I can share that with them. And that's really nice. I hope to build a, a genuine relationship with the people who are on my mailing list because, you know, I hope that's what they've come for. They don't want to be spammed with buy my book emails. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult because you don't want to be one of those scammy marketers. But at the end of the day, you, you do want to sell your books. So it's about striking a balance and finding something that, that works. You said that you have a day job. Is that a day job that involves you having to leave the house? Do you work at home or are you uh, having to go out to work? Yeah, I have to leave the house and to go interact with people. <laughs> so how do you manage your time then? Because this is one of the constant strains on people who want to write books. Yeah. Is you come home from work tired. All you want to do is watch telly, really, when you come home from work. So how yeah. do you balance that with the need to, to get the books out and get the work done? It's, it's got easier over time. Um, so I, I used to work full time, nine or five as, as an accountant. And that's those were the years where I did the least. You know, I was tired and I was coming home and I wasn't drawing. I wasn't writing. And that was really hard. I, f- I felt like my soul had died, you know, and you just feel like a, an empty shell and there's just nothing inside. And you don't know where you're getting up in the morning and you just have no joy in life. And that was a really difficult place to be. Um then I, I changed my career and I went back to university. Um, I've just completed a four-year teaching degree um, and decided that that's not for me either. Um, so whilst I was at uni, I was um, I was working four or five days at uni and I also had an evening and weekend job um, part-time to help pay the bills because um, student loan, for some strange reason, doesn't pay for everything. So, yeah, I was working sort of two jobs there, I guess, and going to teaching practice and stuff. But because I'd... I found this great enthusiasm for wanting to write. I, I didn't mind doing it in my spare time because to me, I'd rather have written than watched TV or, or gone to the cinema or, you know, things like that. I think you if you enjoy something enough, that's what you choose to do in your free time, however little of it you have. Um, and since I finished uni and decided that I am not suitable for day jobs because I'm not very good at them and not very interested in them, um, I, I've just, I suppose, just got my part-time job. So that fits fairly well. I tend to work evenings, weekends, just sort of flexible shifts. And I just fit my writing around that, really. And when you sit down to write, do you have a quota? Are you a 5,000 word a day, a 1,000 <laughs> word a day person? I wish I could be like Chris Fox or someone where it's 5,000 words an hour. Um, <laughs> I have a, a goal of what I like to do. Um, so for illustrations at the moment, I'm, I'm pushing out several sketches a day. For children's fiction, it might be that I want to write a couple thousand words a day or I want to sketch half the illustrations. I, I try and plan out when I want to publish something and then work backwards. So if I am publishing my next children's book in four weeks' time, that's obviously a ridiculously short amount of time, but let's say four weeks' time. Um, or no, let's say I want to get it completed in four weeks' time. That's more sensible. Um, and it's, I don't know, 50,000 words. Then it's how many words a week? Okay, how many words a day? Right, I need to write that a day. And I might build in a little bit of contingency so I can afford to have an hour off or, you know, something inevitably crops up. Like today I had to take my cat to the vet and that was, a you know, an, an hour and a half of lost time. Um but yeah, I, I generally try and just work out where I need to go and how I'm going to get there. And I try, try and stick to it. I'm not perfect. How, how do you learn? What sources of information do you have to, to keep you developing and, as, as a writer and an illustrator? 
Uh, well, Google. Google is my king. <laughs> I find, I've, no, you find all sorts of, of awesome stuff on Google. So there's the Creative Pen podcast. I listen to that avidly. I devour the backlist. There's Rockin' Self-Publishing podcast. There's all manner of, of things on Twitter. This is why I love Twitter. I hated it for so many years, and I could kick myself because it's brilliant. You're just thrown into this huge melting pot where, you know, if you type in hashtag author or indie authors, or self-pub, or, you know, anything like that, you stumble upon this absolute goldmine where everyone is sharing the most amazing resources and talking points, and, and that's great. Um, there's also courses and stuff. I can't, can't do any quite at the moment, but, you know, I've planned out which courses I want to do, you know, things like Facebook marketing and, and stuff like that. Um, so, again, when they open up again, those are the things that I'm, I'm going to consider. But, yeah, it's it's sort of stuff you hear on the grapevine, I guess. I think you've had very interesting and broad experience as a, as a writer and a publisher. What would you say the most important lessons are that you've learned from your time in self-publishing? Um, <clears throat> I would probably say overcome your fears and be adaptive. Um, a big part of not doing something is the fear that well fear you know it might be a fear that you'll fail it might be a fear that you'll be terrible or that you'll be ridiculed or you know whatever you fear um that was a massive thing for me to overcome and it's being able to embrace the opportunities ahead of you and take what chances that you've got because you you know you never know when they might come around again and you never know what great things they might lead to so if I'd never have had that chat with my friend if I'd have decided, oh, I can't really be bothered doing an adult coloring book, where would I be now? Who knows? But luckily, I overcame the fear that it might not work. I took the chance and it's led to something great. So I'd say always, you know, take the chance and try and overcome those fears if you can. But always be adaptive to change and see what you can do to be ahead of the curve or, you know, at, at the forefront of, of indie life, I guess. I always try and figure out what new trends are coming up and you know how can I adapt to some new software or or this or that or the other and I think that's a great part of the indie communities that we never sit still and we're never happy to accept the status quo we're also always thinking right what's next what can we push next and that's really exciting it's it's a fantastic adventure <laughs> it's been really informative and interesting talking to you today Meg can I just uh, get an idea of where we can find out more about you online Sure. So um, my website is megcowley.com and you've got all my contact links there. Um, I'm on Twitter at Meg underscore, underscore Cowley and Facebook slash Meg Cowley for my author page. I've also just set up on YouTube, so come hunt me down there. I'm on, under Meg Cowley as well. Fantastic. Look, uh, congratulations on the success you've had with the adult colouring books. It's just, it's just wonderful. Cheers. It's all, it's all hard work and a little bit of luck, but long may it continue. Well, hard work. <laughs> a lot of hard work on your part, I think. But, I mean, it's, really, it's fantastic to see people having that breakthrough success. So congratulations on that. And th- thank you so much for talking to us on the podcast today. Oh, cheers. Cheers for having me on. It's been really nice. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.